Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to the New Books Network. Uh, my name is Roland Clark, and I'm here today talking to Artan Opsa, who's a historian of Southeastern Europe with a strong thematic influence in the social and cultural transformations of the 20th century. Artan has written a number of books and articles, including a new book that has just come out with Routledge last year called Communism, Atheism, and the Orthodox Church of Albania, Cooperism, Survival, and Suppression. Artan, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you very much for uh, inviting me and for giving me the opportunity to talk about my latest book, Sugarland. So this is a book about a town called Malik, uh, which you call Albania's sugar capital. And this was the largest integrated industrial complex in the country between 1951 and 1996. But Malik wasn't always known for growing sugar beet. Uh, what was the plain of Korsha where Malik's located, like in, say, 1920? Well, Malik, uh, before uh, it was transformed into the Albanian, uh, Albania's sugar capital, uh, was actually covered by a swamp, by a very ancient swamp. And actually, in Malik is recorded the oldest Palafit uh, settlement in Europe. So for centuries and for millennia, since, the, uh, since at, at least for 15,000 years, the area was covered by a swamp. Uh, which used to be the center of, of gravity for all the human communities that lived around it. So let's say in 1920, when the Albania's uh, when Albania as a state entity was reconfirmed by the Conference of Paris after World War One, was again covered by this by this by this large swamp, which uh, at the time. Uh, in the eyes of the modern Albanian modernizers, was actually uh, seen and considered as a marker of uh, backwardness, as a marker of uh, the Ottoman uh, uh, neglect of the Ottoman legacy of the country, which they wanted to actually annihilate, because the modernizing process in the Balkans has mainly been as uh, and considered as a process of deottomanization. So in this sense, in 19, in, 19, uh, in 1920, when the effort to reclaim the swamp started, actually uh, the the modernizers, the local modernizers, but all the modernizers in the capital in Tirana, they considered the swamp as a, as as a, as, a, as an Ottoman legacy. And so this actually uh, was the the idea of de-Ottomanizing de- Albania, of Europeanizing Albania, which at, at, at the bottom line is actually transforming Albania from uh, uh, an area that was ruled by the Ottomans for five centuries and transforming it into a European country, which means also transforming the outlook of, 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 uh, uh, of, of the country. Uh, not just the urban outlook, but also the countryside. Actually, the efforts to, 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 to reclaim the swamp were actually considered as part of this modernizing process of de-Ottomanization. And, um, and so that was actually uh, my niche was about. It became an enterprise that was identified with uh, the modernization of the country, of Albania, and its transformation into a, into a European country, at least in the imagination of, of the Albanian modernizers. So whose was it? Whose idea was it to reclaim the swamp? And how did they make it happen? So uh, Ernest Renan, the famous French uh, intellectual of the 19th century, said that nation is not just about, uh, let's say, remembering, 
but it's also about forgetting. And so the idea uh, of reclaiming the swamp actually did not start with Albanian modernizers. It started in the Ottoman era. But the problem was that the Albanian modernizers, as far as they wanted to detach themselves and create this, uh, create this modern European Albania, they actually did not and never articulated that actually this was a project that started in the late Ottoman era. Actually, what happened was that uh, because of the def massive deforestation of the area, especially of the hills and of the mountains around Manich, the swamp actually uh, <clears throat> the swamp uh, enlarged, and the swamp actually uh, from let's say an area of 2,000 3,000 hectares, it actually went to 5,000 hectares, and so many and, and flooded many of the villages around it. And so the Ottoman authorities started thinking of reclaiming the swamp. And this was not a project that was, this was not an isolated project. This was part of larger, uh, of larger project of modernizing the Ottoman Empire uh, and was part of a larger project, a larger discourses and practices that emerged in the second half of the 19th century in uh, Southern Europe, including, including the Ottoman Empire. So the Ottomans actually, it, it, it was the, uh, the Ottomans who conceived the project. And the Albanian modernizers took the project from the Ottomans and actually tried to use it for their own purposes. Now, not as part of a larger project of modernizing the Ottoman Empire, but actually of nation building and, modern, uh, and of modernization of Albania. And so the project, they took the, they took the baton from the, from the Ottoman authorities and then they used it for their own purposes. So the project actually, the reclamation of the swamp emerged somewhere in the 1890s and then, uh, but it never materialized, also because of the corruption of uh, local authorities. And then it uh, there were local entrepreneurs from the area of Korcha, generally speaking, urbanites, or let's say the urban bourgeoisie of Korcha, who actually tried to use to, to reclaim the swamp and transform it into a, a into a let's say capitalist enterprise, as part of reconnecting and revitalizing the area of Korcha and connecting it with the uh, with the other parts of Albania. And actually the other important element that we have to include in this into this into this narrative is that actually what had happened was that the area of Korcha was actually controlled by the French forces during World War One. And so the but in, in Korcha did not go all the uh, what was called Armée d'Orient, so the uh, Army of uh, the Orient, uh, located in Thessaloniki, in Greece. But there were there weren't also many other scientists, French scientists, who actually discovered that the area of Korcha was very good for uh, for the cultivation of sugar beet. And the local bourgeoisie actually once got the idea then tried to merge both both ideas, which means reclaiming the swamp and then. Uh, transforming the area, the, the reclaimed land, into a center of sugar production by cultivating sugar beet. Um, so once the company decided to reclaim the swamp, they took away some of the pasture land from the nearby villages. How did the locals feel about this? So yeah, so the thing is that the project was mainly a urban project. And in the eyes of the Albanian capitalists, or in the eyes of these uh, investors from 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 the area of Korcha, they 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 did not actually uh, uh, they did not consider the, the the villagers at all. 
So in their eyes, the villagers and the peasants of the area disappeared because after all, they were not cultivating the land in modern, in, uh, let's say they were not cultivating the land following modern, uh, modern uh, technology is they did not have this idea of progress. And as far as they did not have this idea of progress, then in a certain sense, they were like the indigenous populations in, the, in, in let's say, in the Americas or in Africa. So they did not, in a way or another, deserve to be taken into consideration. However, the peasants rebelled against the company. They actually uh, challenged the company goal to control their land, to take away their land, because after all, the swamp of Malich was part of this, uh, let's say, large natural process that they used. They, they used their land. They used the, the the swamp and the pastures around around the swamp for their for their for their economies for pasture for fishing uh, and for many other economic purposes so by reclaiming the swamp and by taking away their pastures actually the the entrepreneurs that wanted to reclaim the swamp were, were actually taking away their their resources and so there was a huge clash between the peasants and the entrepreneurs and what happened then was that the whole project stuck and it never uh, came into fruition. It did not actually, and 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 the entrepreneurs of Korcha did not succeed in reclaiming the swamp. That was due to lack of capital, but also to a certain degree, also to the resistance of the peasants who did not accept uh, that to be invisible, and uh, did not accept to, that their resources to be taken away by these uh, uh, urban bourgeois and urban. Uh, Entrepreneurs. However, I would be careful not to consider this as a as a class uh, class struggle, as a just as a clash between urbans, urbanites, and 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 villagers, because the situation was much more complex. Because also prominent uh, landowners of the area took the side of the villagers only because they uh, somehow had conflicts of interest with the uh, uh, let's say the entrepreneurs that wanted to reclaim the swamp of Malich. So we've got Ottomans and Albanians and French and urbanites and local landowners uh, and local villages. And then during the Second World War, fascist Italy conquers Albania. What was the attitude of the Italians towards all of this modernization that's happening in Albania? Well, the fascist, the fascist Italy actually came and uh, claimed its status as, a, 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 as an ideological rival to liberal Europe by actually providing an alternative to modernization. Italy and fascism actually wanted to, and, and claimed, fascist Italy claimed that actually its, its non-market economy was more successful than liberal democracy, to, especially to modernize uh, backward countries and to put them on track to modernization. So, however, what the Italians did actually, they took this project that actually had its Ottoman roots and then had also its Albanian developers and took this project and then what they wanted to do actually was exactly to build in the area of Korcha and they started building a sugar factory. And their goal was also to reclaim the swamp and use the whole area of Malich as the center of sugar production of this uh, Albania 
controlled by fascist Italy. So in a certain sense, what we have is that the Italians came, but on the other hand, what the Italians actually tried to prove was that their regimented economy, their uh, practices of mobilization were far more successful than that of liberalism. And for them, looking at what did take place in Mali in the 20s and the 30s, for them was exactly the failure of liberal democracy, although Albania was not a liberal democracy, but however, was a failure of these local entrepreneurs that were not driven by this uh, authoritarian uh, alternative that uh, somehow with a strong hand actually commanded and, and, and mobilized the population. So, in, so what they saw as a failure of the previous Albanian entrepreneurs, they saw uh, in their project as a success, and exactly because of the use of this iron fist, of the strong hand. However, the Italians did not stay enough in Albania to be successful. They invaded the country in 1939. The, uh, Italy <clears throat> uh, uh, collapsed in 1940. Fascist Italy collapsed in 1943. Uh, and so four years were not enough to succeed in, in pushing forward the, 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 the project of, of reclamation. However, the Italians kept the project and tried to develop it further. So rather than a break with the past, we see actually discourses that claim a break, but instead we, what we see is actually a strong continuity. So by the late 1940s, you've had people trying to reclaim this one for 50 years almost um, and they've got an idea of what they want to do with it but ultimately it's the communist party that manages to reclaim the swamp and they're the ones that start planting sugar beets here um, but of course you need more than just dry land to establish a major industrial complex so what else do they have to do to this area to make it viable for sugar production well the, the communists first of all uh again the communist uh the communists again looked at the swamp as uh, a legacy of the past and by reclaiming the swamp for them was also a, uh, was going to be a symbolic achievement exactly for that imagined break with the past and so what they did is actually that they accelerated those processes that already had started since the late ottoman era had accelerated further during the establishment of the uh, of the Albanian state, had accelerated to a certain degree during uh, Italian invasion, but then they reached their apex with the communists. So the, what the communists did actually, and what they wanted to do, was not just to reclaim the swamp, but first of all, they had also to populate the area with uh, new people and uh, create an area that was going to be integrated into an industrial complex which was going exactly to produce sugar beet so uh <clears throat> for them for them to was not just a matter of reclaiming the swamp but was actually also of building a sugar refinery and to industrialize especially agriculture so for them was critically it was critical not just to build to, to reclaim the swamp was not just important to build a sugar factory, but on the other hand, they had also to put the agriculture on track in order to, for the agriculture to keep the pace of the factory. So in a certain sense then, they were forced because of the factory also to collectivize the land. So the area of Malik, for example, was one of the first areas that was not fully collectivized, but where, where collectivization of Albania started. 
And that was not just for ideological purposes, but was actually also for economic purposes. Because what they saw, the communists saw, was that after reclaiming the swamp, and uh, after they somehow tried to force the peasants to cultivate sugar beet, what they saw was that they, actually the peasants with their plows, with their with their wooden plows, and with their with with their uh, ox carts, they could not actually produce enough sugar beet to keep the rhythm of the refinery. So there were many uh, bottle uh, there, there there were many bottlenecks between the refinery that had a certain rhythm and on the other hand the slow rhythm of, of of the agriculture so what they did then was to mechanize the whole process of 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 uh of agriculture to consolidate all the plots to collectivize the land and so in a certain sense that Mali became also emblematic not just because it used to be a swamp and then it was reclaimed not just because where it used to be uh uh a swamp became a, a center of, of sugar production but also all, also the mechanization of agriculture so in a certain sense we have also the industrialization of the agriculture we have also the bringing of new technologies that were going to transform the whole social fabric but also the way that the agricultural economy worked and one of my favorite parts of the book is when you point out that sugar beet wasn't the only thing that this land was used for under state socialism can you tell us a bit about the grove of the pheasants? Yes. Yeah, so the grove of the pheasants was uh, was a, was a, a small a small grove uh, that was not allowed where the locusts were not allowed to go, and this grove was used by important political uh, figures personalities to go for hunting, and so I I use the term heterotopia. Actually, it was a term that was used by uh, Michel Foucault, but also by others. And heterotopia is used as a place of distinction, a place that is abnormal, that is outside of the norm. And actually, <clears throat> there is kind of a... Uh, in, in the eyes of the Albanian modernizers in the 1920s and the 1930s, but also in the eyes of the communists, heterotopia was exactly the, 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 was the swamp. It was not a penetrable space was a space outside of control. It was not transparent. And then after they reclaimed the swamp, the whole plane became, became a normal place. However, we have the continuation of heterotopia. But now heterotopia was a space that was not invisible to the state authorities, but was invisible to the local peasants. The local peasants that used to, uh, that in the 20s and the 30s and for centuries had used the swamp for their own purposes, now they could not go anymore to this grove because that was a that was a space that we're not allowed to go to and that was a space where actually only the top authorities of the country uh, uh, uh could go and they go they went there to hunt pheasants but on the other hand we all know that uh hunting was not just a preferred activity and uh activity of the communist elites across the eastern bloc but were actually also moments, important moments, where important political decisions were made. And so in this sense, we see in the, in the, in, in the growth of pheasants, somehow a local projection of, of another phenomenon. It, was, it is that of bloku. Bloku is the block, is the Albanian, is the Albanian word for block. The block is at the center of Tirana. It used to be the residence of the top party authorities and state authorities. 
So they 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 uh, they lived in the same space, guarded by soldiers, where nobody was allowed to go. So in a certain sense, that was a betrayal of the socialist ideal. They claimed about building the state of the workers, that uh, the state uh, an egalitarian society. But on the other hand, they created all the markets to differentiate themselves from the from 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 the normal people. And at the same time, the growth of the peasant, the growth of the peasants, exactly was this this type of marker, though this marker of internal inequalities of this that that are somehow projected and carved in space. So we see this the betrayal of the socialist ideal. We can see that also in Manich. The reclamation of the swamp was a return of the land to the people. In a certain sense, was uh, claimed to be uh, an effort to transform uh, that land and to 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 to, to make the Alba- to modernize the Albanians. On the other hand, Malik served also with the growth of the peasants, served also as a marker again of the continuation of of disparities and of inequalities between the power holders and and. And normal people, in this case, the, the, the peasants of the area of Manish. What's beautiful about the way you tell this story is the way that all this ideology and power relations and geopolitics gets inscribed on the land, on the physical environment. Um, but there's people there too. So where did all the people come from who worked there? Surely not all of them were locals because there wouldn't have been that many people living there to start with. Many. Uh, so what did take place was a massive migration. Because with the process of industrialization, uh, the communist regime wanted also to have uh, enough uh, workforce, labor force, and so until until nineteen uh, until until nineteen forty five, almost eighty five percent of the Albanians live in the in, in the countryside, especially in the mountains. Albanians, generally speaking, have been highlanders. The lowlands, including Malik, for example, but also in the in the western part of the country, were in in many, many times covered by by swamps, and were not very hospitable places to live. So, where the cities were, where the industry was built, there were not an, there was not enough labor force. So many many of the many of the workers came actually from 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 this uh, from. From the from the mountains around Malic, but also from far far for, for places uh, far from the area of Korcha, and sometimes even Albanian speakers from Greece that uh, were uprooted during the, for example, uh, there were people from villages that were that used to be that villages that used to be on the on the side of the Greek border, Albanian speakers uh, from the, from the side of the Greek borders that were uprooted during the civil war in Greece. Uh, around 1949, it is exactly the moment that the sugar, the sugar refinery of Malich was built. So, in this sense, Malich became also a, a, an area where people coming from different places, of different backgrounds, and even religious backgrounds, came and started living together. And so, Malich, the town of Malich, but also the re- communist regime built also several villages in uh, in uh, in the area that used to be covered by the swamp became also centers that built these new communities. So Manich was also uh, a project that actually uh, was also uh, an inter- part of the internal colonization. So uh, build, bringing these, these people, these kind of colonizers that were not locals, bringing them together, building these new communities, communities that were all centered around sugar production, was actually part of this 
new idea of, of, of transforming the country. And, uh, and part of this colonizing project that we can trace across the globe during the 20th century. Um, uh, um, it's good that you mentioned that, that this is going on in lots of places, not just Albania, because a lot of the literature on the Soviet Union argues that making peasants into workers and communists change their subjectivities or their way of being in the world. Does this happen in Malik, do you think? Or do peasants stay peasants once you move them into a factory? So yes, thank you for 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 bringing up this question because this this is a very complex question, and it needs a very complex answer. There is I I I can't I can't I, I'm not sure whether their subjectivity is was transformed radically, or they they remain peasants or they became workers or their subjectivities were were totally transformed i would say that the, the 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 correct answer is somewhere in between because of course their subjectivity changes because using new technologies living in within a new ideological context uh within a new new institutional framework within a new type of economy of course that affects people and the way they look of course, that many of the peasants embraced progress. There was a resistance at the beginning, especially, for example, with people coming with people coming to live in the, in, in 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 these new villages and in the town of Panich. There was a lot. There was a lot of resistance. The communist party, the communist party, and the communist authorities begged people to go there and live there in these new in these new places. But nobody. But many were unwilling to go there and leave their own old communities to start a new life. However, uh, many. Uh, however, some 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 did take the, the initiative and go. I would I would say that the people the peoples uh, those who actually those the, the subject the the people whose subjectivity was transformed the most were the newcomers rather than the old peasants. The uh, peasants of the older community in many ways remained peasants. The, the those the people whose subjectivity changed the most were were especially those living in the new villages and in the town of Manish. Let's say the new colonizers. We can see that because their 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 lifestyle changed, the way they lived changed. There was a transformation, for example, in the family structure. Uh, there was a predominance in the nuclear family until 1945. The predominant uh, form. Of, of family structure in Albania, including Southeast Albania, where Manich is located, was mainly was mainly the large the large patriarchal family. However, in night after nineteen forty five, especially the new villages and in the uh, town of Manich, we'll see the triumph of the nuclear family. People started living in apartment buildings, so the infrastructure where they live changed radically their way of being. Uh, however, this I, this was not the case with many of the villages of, of the older villages, because their memory and 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 their way of life, in in many ways, was uh, linked to the past, and that past was not very easy to get obliterated by the communist authorities. It it sounds like they transform a lot, but they don't have revolution on their minds. Exactly. 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 Uh, one impression that you give in the book is that living in towns could actually be quite a popular choice for a lot of people, um, especially people coming from poor mountain villages. But you weren't allowed to just pick up and move whenever you wanted under communism, were you? Yes, yes. So 
not accidentally, I mentioned that the subjectivity of people uh, that were, especially in these new villages and uh, in, in the town of Malik, changed the most. And that, 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 that subjectivity was actually also affected by these uh, inequalities, geographical inequalities, these nested inequalities that uh, uh, we can see in the countryside. Generally speaking, the literature has especially uh, 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 has investigated um, inequalities between uh, town and countryside. However, uh, generally speaking, the scholarly work has not investigated these inequalities within the countryside as well. And so well, what, what I could trace in Malich was actually that we see these inequalities uh, between the new villages and the town of Malich and the uh, the other areas, especially with the country with, with the uh, in the highlands, because there is also a topographic inequality between the lowland and the highland, in the highlands. So what we see is then uh, is that many of the peasants in the in, in the highlands wanted to move in the lowlands. However, the communist regime did not allow that because the communist authorities. Albania, including, were very afraid of uh, free movement because that would that would kind of uh, uh, create large cities, large large urban centers, a huge concentration of people in one single place. Many times, also unemployment, and with that, also troubles. So that would actually somehow inhibit and hamper the uh, the ability of the communist authorities to control people and space. So that's that's the reason why. Uh, in, in, in the 50s emerged this practice called pasaportizimi. Pasaportizimi come from the word passport, which means you cannot move without the uh, without the permission of the authorities. So what people in the highlands then uh, tried to do was to create especially the strategies uh, to move. And one of the most preferred one was that through marriages. So somehow they arranged marriages to move their daughters, for example, girls in the in, in the lowlands or young 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 guys uh, who married, for example, women older than them or women with uh, many kids. Let, let let me be clear, I don't have anything against that, but that was a taboo in, uh, and, and, and somehow still is a taboo in, in, in Albania. So men should be older than women when they marry. And generally speaking, men do not prefer marry uh, uh, women that has, has used to be married before divorced women with, with kids. So the, the the idea is that somehow people challenge this moral taboos just to move in the lowlands, especially the town of Malik and in the in the in this new in these new villages. Because the new villages, by the way, had the salary of the workers. There were a different type of salaries between peasants working in the uh, in, in the collective farms and those working in, in the industry. And because uh, the new villages built in where used to be the swamp, because they were strongly linked with the sugar refinery and their work was focused on producing sugar beet, actually what they did, they, they had, they had sal worker salaries. So their standard of living was much higher. They had many, uh, almost all the houses in, in those villages had radios, had, uh, had good houses, had very decent uh, living conditions. Uh, something that was not common in the old villages and then was uncommon in the villages in the highlands. So people then started kind of uh, 
uh, devising these strategies to move. And there was this kind of uh, all this uh, all these strategies that they tried to move in, in, in the lowlands and then the local authorities that tried not to allow them to move and sometimes even to intervene and not allow people to marry, especially when they considered these marriages, for example, as scandalous, as, as true scandals that uh, could not be permitted because they saw and they understood that people were making all these negotiations just to move in the lowlands. And that is an expression exactly of these internal inequalities within the countryside. So not all the people wanted just to move in the cities, but they also wanted to move in villages, only small towns that uh, where, where they could live better and, have, have, and could have a, a better life and uh, uh, more options about, about their life and the, the future, especially their kids as well. And you can imagine a beautiful romantic comedy being written about this. Oh. Well, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe at some point, you know, kind of, a, I have the right muse. <laughs> I can write something about this. Um, just to shift from this very local perspective to an international perspective, one thing that, one of the first things that everyone learns about Albania and state socialism is that Albania was famously isolated internationally during the Cold War especially after the break with Yugoslavia in 1948, um, with the collapse of ties of the Soviet Union after 1953, and then the ending of trade relations with China in 78. But you've got a whole chapter in this book dedicated to Malik in the world. How can Albanian sugar production be transnational if Albania was cut off? Exactly. So the thing is that uh, in the 20th century, what I argue is that in the 20th century, uh, it's very hard to be isolated from the world and especially for a country that aims industrialization. And so taking into consideration, for example, Malich and the inability of Albania to produce high technology, then, uh, then the need to have know-how and technology forced the Albanian communist regime to get in touch with the world. There were many channels but on the other hand, what we see is actually in the 1950s, especially, was this myth about Soviet technology. Everything about Soviet Union was great. Uh, of course, in the 1950s, then we have 1957, Yuri Gagarin went to, to space. That was a triumph of the Soviet technology. And technology had all, technology is not ideologically free, as many think. Ide technology is an outcome of specific economic and ideological conditions that create the technology it is a human artifact. And as far as it's human artifact, that's not, it's not free of technology, actually is infused with, with, with ideology. However, in, 90, in the 1950s, there was this myth about Soviet technology. And yet, by the late 1950s, the Albanian technocrats, many of them educated in the Soviet Union, but also in Czechoslovakia, Hungary, Romania, Poland, Somehow they started challenging this claim of Soviet of the superiority of Soviet technology. They started arguing that actually the technology uh, coming from Czechoslovakia, or from Poland, or from, from Hungary, and sometimes even from Romania, was superior to that produced by by the by 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 the Soviets. And yet, with the break from the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc, Albania somehow connected itself with, with China. Of course, there was a lot of circulation of technology and know-how and circulation of people as well coming back and forth. But yet, in the 1960s, gradually speaking, and, then, and, and, in, and that reached its kind of uh, its apex in the 70s, 
the Albanians started, the Albanian technocrats started pressuring about taking know-how and technology from the West. They said that the West had a superior technology, and yet they used euphemisms. And the, the euphemism was that rather than saying the West, this, they used the word the world. Mm -hmm. But with world, they actually understood Western Europe and, and North America. For them, that was the world. So the idea was that to be kind of ideologically correct, not to betray themselves, not just to say the West, they wanted to take the to take Western technologies by using technology from the West, from the world, and we have to keep our pace and we have to be updated with everything that happens in the world. And the, 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 the Albanian top authorities were forced to do that because the population was growing immensely. Uh, the consumption force and the buying force of the Albanian population was growing. And that meant also that the Albanian authorities had to grow their capacity of production. And they could not reach that, that goal without connecting to the world. So because of, after all, Albania is located in, in, in Europe and geography is stubborn, you cannot challenge it. And so, but on the other hand, also huge demographic, economic, and cultural transformation, especially in, in, in consumption culture. After all, the co collectivization, industrialization, urbanization, actually detached people from producing their own food. So they were, they were forced to buy that food. And to buy that food meant that the industrial, light industry and heavy industry had to really work toward that goal. But on the other hand, Albania was too small and too poor to produce its own technology. So in a certain sense, in a way or another, the Albanian authorities were forced to connect to the world and they, they never decoupled from the world. Ideologically speaking, of course, that the Albanian uh, dictator Enver Hoxha, he always kept inventing enemies. But what we see under the surface, with if, if we scratch it and if we dig it, we see the uh, the underchannels. We see that there was a lot going on, and Albania is not and what was not as isolated as people imagine. Uh, so there was a lot of transnational connections, um, but at the same time. It was very important for the regime that Albania be able to produce all of the sugar that it consumes um, because the government needs hard currency and import costs are very expensive. Did it manage to um, autarky? And what are the implications if they failed? Like what would happen if Albanians didn't have enough sugar to put in their coffee? Well, yeah. So the thing is that uh, the communist regime in a way or another fell victim of the costs it, it created. It, 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 it injected in population a sense of progress, the idea of progress, of transformation, of, of uh, rising consumption. But on the other hand, at some point, it could not live up to the expectations it had created. So in a certain sense, the Albanian communist regime wanted to keep, that, to keep, that, to keep consumption high. But on the other hand, the communist regime wanted also to build an autarkic economy, an autarkic economy in order to keep its, let's say, absolute sovereignty over the country. However, it it failed, and on and 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 what did it and what did take place, especially in the late seventies and the eighties, was that people did not have enough coffee to put on their sugar, uh, to, enough sugar to put on, in, in their coffee. Sorry. <laughs> so the idea was that, that this was perceived as a huge uh, failure for the regime. People actually conceived that as, as a failure of the regime to keep up to, to keep up to its promises, 
to keep his promises. So it was it, so it, that in in many ways lack of consumption delegitimized the communist uh, regime and its claim to power. Because after all, after creating those expectations, it could not, and it it actually in the eighties in in the late seventies and the late eight in the late in the in the late seventies and during the eighties, the communist regime actually was talking just about ideology and how we how the Albanians had to eat even grass in order to preserve the purity of 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 the of the ideological purity. But on the other hand, few people were ready to do that. Because after all, progress means also consumption. That after after injecting this materialist understanding of the world, this materialist understanding of life strongly connected with consumption because consumption creates identities. So after that, it failed to, to achieve that. And so in many ways, it created many discontents. So it, what I wanted to say is that it failed to produce enough sugar for people. And so in a certain sense, Malich represents that failure as well. And that actually had a huge impact on the legitimacy of, legitimacy of, of the communist regime. Uh, under capitalism, when a business stops being profitable, we just shut it down, and then we start a new one somewhere else. Um, but in the eighties, when Malik stops being profitable, the communists don't do that. Why do you think that was? Well, because the communists. One of the things that is not just about the communist regime in Albania, but is also about uh, the industrial establishment all around Eastern Europe, was that is that um, so. Communist regimes emerged uh, by linking their own fate to fixed capital. So, in a certain sense, they rejected the idea uh, of uh, creative destruction, as Joseph Schumpeter used for capitalism. So, Joseph Schumpeter said that, based also on what Marx said, that you know, uh, when you talk about modernity, everything melts in the air. He was talking actually about capitalism. Then, communism conceived itself as the alter ego of capitalism. So in a certain sense, they could not really create these communities and then just leave them to their own devices and just move somewhere else because that was against the ideological perspective that they had. They built they built industrial complexes in order to have these fixed capitals and to create those communities, fixed communities, totally linked to those industries. But if those industries were not profitable, that was this was not an economic matter for the communist regime. That was a, a political matter, and politics had an upper hand over the economic logic of 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 capital, of success and failure, of uh, profit and uh, uh, and uh, not being profitable. So, in in this sense, what did take place in Albania was something that did take place also in other countries of Eastern Europe, and. The, and the other main thing is that uh, these, these industrial complexes were strongly connected to nation building, including Soviet Russia, including Soviet Union, including Romania, including, including Hungary, including, including Bulgaria. They were strongly connected to the idea of, national, of nation building. This is not the case in, 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 uh, in Western capitalism, where, for example, the outsourcing is one of the main features. But on the other hand, we also know that outsourcing has also created huge social and political implications. And for example, let me say you tell you, Trump is one of the outcome. 
right? So the thing is that many of these worker communities felt betrayed by their by their political representatives, and then they went the other hand and voted for nationalist, populist uh, politicians. So this is something that created these social bombs, and the socialist regimes did not want to do that. But on the other hand, what they did is that was actually somehow to incapacitate these communities to regenerate themselves and find new ways to make a living. So it, it, what I'm trying to say here is that it was against the logic of the the, the political, the logic, ideological logic, and the political logic of socialist regimes to base their economy on profitability. But on the other hand, they failed exactly economically because they did not take into consideration this economic logic of 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 of, of profit. So even though they tried to keep it up, the state socialism collapsed in Albania. Well, um, and then Sugartown collapsed as well in 1996. And when you went there, um, people talked to you about how they need to get the factory going again. So there's a lot of scholars that have written about nostalgia for state socialism, especially with East Germany and Ostalgia. Um, but you argue that this isn't about nostalgia when they, the people in Malik talk about this. Uh, what is going on then? Well, because, uh, yes. Uh, so the thing is, nostalgia... The way that we approach the past is very much dictated by the way, uh, by by the present, and especially by the present, but also by what we expect in the future. And so the thing is that with uh, these industrial complexes built around the idea of nation state, they just failed, you know, after the integration of the country into the neoliberal world, where capital is not anymore nation nation based. And so my league that was built only to create to produce sugar for for just for Albania then collapse and then now sugar comes from Brazil and 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 and, and from other uh Latin American countries so the thing is that this this community has lost also their identity and their identity was strongly linked to this industry but this industry also created huge expectations created uh, also communities and those communities those those uh this social fabric, right, unraveled with the collapse of, of 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 the sugar factory. So there is no hope, and as far as there is no hope, of course, that people then will look toward the past with a certain with a with a certain nostalgia. Uh, we should remember, for example, uh, Dali famous famous uh, painting about memory, right, with this kind of malleable watches. So the idea is that time is not something hard, it's malleable, so that, that's also our memory. So our memory is also very much dictated by the context and by, 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 uh, and by, the, by circumstances, but also by, by the time we live. So people, for example, that live in, in urban centers many times, in large urban centers like Tirana, for example, many times are not nostalgic about communism. But if you go in these peripheral small industrial towns, people keep living with the past because they remember that they used to have a community that is not anymore. Uh, there was not migration. There was not, uh, especially immigration outside of the country. And they had, they had different, different perspective toward the future at the time. They had a different perspective toward the past at the time. At the time, they were not nostalgic at all, for example, about pre-capitalist, pre-socialist Albania. But if you move to Korsha, a town that has a very strong bourgeois culture, people were not very much nostalgic about communism. Many people during communism, for example, I know from my from my own interviews, many people were uh, nostalgic uh, about the 1930s 
when they used to go for tourism in Greece or in Italy or in France or in, or in Austria. And they could not move anymore because that was part of the forbidden world. However, when you go to Malich, a town created by communism, and a town that somehow its fate was strongly linked to communism itself. So its fate was linked to the, to the, to the regime that created it. Then we see that people are very nostalgic about that, that exactly that regime. But it's not because of they are nostalgic about, I don't know, uh, authoritarian or, or communist ideas or about Marx teaching. They don't care about that. And I'm, I'm, I'm highly suspicious that they have ever read Marx, but they are very, very nostalgic about what sugar factory represented for them as people as with a, with a given uh, identity but also as communities with a specific identity at, that created specific communities uh, that of course were communities of, of uprooted people people coming from everywhere that then Mali became a melting pot that created this new type of community that now is unraveling because somehow they have lost their sense of being and their sense of being is strongly connected to the sugar refinery in itself. There's a hell of a lot to think about there. Um, but people can go and buy the book themselves if they'd like to. So I'm going to wrap up there for today. Uh, thank you so much for talking us through this really amazing case study. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to talk, to talk about my book. And so yeah, I hope people will read the book. And uh, my what I can wish is just some, somehow to use them thinking not differently just about Albania, but just to, to, to think about the world we live in. Because after all, this is not just a story about Albania. It's a story about the 20th century. It's a 20th century history. And uh, my goal has been exactly to identify a place where, where I could trace some of the major trends of the 20th century. And uh, a century that is not only connected to genocide and 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 world wars and ideological extremes but also about these other problems that I talked in my book talk in my book thank you very much